I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much product was being sourced overseas and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that were still making in Britain. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in the UK, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be telling the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and manufacturers and offering advice to those that want to make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Make It British podcast. A few episodes ago, I talked about the government's report into the sustainability of the UK fashion industry. And I said what a shame it was that they hadn't interviewed any garment manufacturers as part of their inquiry. Now, there was a lot of finger pointing done towards the retailers and there was also um, some concern cast over some of the practices of garment manufacturers in Leicester. So I thought, what better way of giving a voice to some of those manufacturers than getting one of them on the show? So on today's episode, I am interviewing Mick Chima from a factory called Basic Premier in Leicester. And in this very frank interview, Mick talks all about what's really going on with garment manufacturing in Leicester. He also gives some great insights about how the manufacturing industry with textiles in Leicester has changed since his parents first set up a factory several decades ago. He talks about how online retailers have changed the face of manufacturing in Leicester and how it affects an ethical manufacturer such as himself. If you're at all interested in the way that retailers work with garment manufacturers in the UK, you're going to love this episode. And if you do want to listen back to the one I did about the government's report into the sustainability of UK fashion, that is episode number 28. I hope you enjoyed this episode on what is a very important topic at the moment when it comes to UK garment manufacturing. We need more manufacturers like Mick. Not every garment manufacturer is willing to speak out about some of the things going on in UK garment manufacturing at the moment, purely because I think the sort of people that they are, you'll hear, you know, he's quite quietly spoken and so are most manufacturers and they don't want to speak out. So it's taken quite a lot of courage for him to come on the show and I do hope you will support him in what he has to say. Hello, Mick. Thank you very much for joining me for today's podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Can you just tell me how you got into manufacturing in the first place? Okay. Um, initially, uh, my family was actually involved uh, in the textiles uh, business. Um, my father used to have a, a small little uh, factory and uh, my mum and my sister used to work on the machines and, um, and he used to sell the garments on the, at the local market. And, um, and so... Traditionally, in Leicester, because it was a hub for textiles, um, my aunties, my uncles and other family members all kind of uh, had some kind of link to the textile industry where either they're working for big manufacturers or in a dye house or in a laundry or wherever. So textiles was always in the background. Um, so after a while, um, I was working in a factory as a manager 
And um, and then then I thought I would just give it a go myself. And uh, me and my wife set up Basic Premier. What, uh, when was that? What year did you set it up? Uh, 2012. Okay, so about, yes, about seven years ago. About the same time as I set up Make It British. Yeah, yeah. And, so, uh, yeah. So what gave you the confidence to set up um, a garment manufacturing business in 2012? Okay, um, we, I noticed that there's a, a desire for um, UK retailers to want made in Britain uh, products. Uh, when it comes to clothing. Um, so to engage um, with the retailers, we set up our business um, where we, we looked at the local topography of other businesses in the area and uh, there's like small kind of workshops. Uh, so, so we kind of scaled it up a bit so we could produce up to, um, um, we set the business up so we could actually cater up to 70,000 units a week. So that's the kind of uh, capacity we actually um, had like in, in, in on the premises but um, when we started it was a bit low it was like 10,000 units 15,000 units and uh, and we steadily built it up and the customers um, were happy with the volumes that we was actually turning around we was actually uh, working with the likes of Asda Sainsbury's <coughs> Tesco's Matterland so the, these were like um, big uh, retailers and, and, and the orders were quite big as well and, and I yeah Sorry, I say I've been to your factory and it is, I've been there a couple of times, I think. It is, I always say you can eat your dinner off the floor. It's a very well set up factory. Um, it's clean, it's tidy. You run a great um, operation there. So you obviously have passed quite a few different audits and things, haven't you, to supply all these retailers? Yeah, yeah, you have to uh, be compliant um, to supply um, the retailers. So um, each retailer um, has their own audit process. So um, ASDA, for example, that's um, an audit process based on uh, the Walmart um, audit auditing uh, requirements, which is quite quite difficult, quite strict. Um, Tesco's have their version. Sainsbury's have have their version. So yeah, so it's 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 more, you have your standard meter audit, which is um, a kind of a basic. Uh, audit based on um, the ETI principles, but then um, when you're supplying various customers, they have like their upgrades, their add-ons. So you know it could be uh, fire regulations to make sure that you know we're strong on fire um, action. It could be uh, on the technical side um, where they want to see the complete trans uh, visibility of the product from birth to exit, and um, they'd like to see all the. Uh, the minutes, all the um, um, measurements, charts, re every record they want to see. So, um, yeah, uh, we, we're the only um, supplier that actually uh, managed um, to uh, get through the Walmart process. So uh, for a period of time, we were the only um, manufacturer that was um, audited to supply um, Asda in, in the UK. Really? Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, so what... Um, what did they have in their audit that took them above and beyond what everyone else was asking for? That's quite um, interesting. I, I would say that um, they their audit was more based on um, the technical side of it. So, so basically, um, there was total transparency, uh, visibility of um, from the start of of the audit order. Sorry, uh, I, for example, if if 
you've got a development order, you're send, sending it through to the customer. We have to re- record everything in, in a set process. And at each step, we have to uh, have documentation to, to prove that we've completed that and moved to the next stage. And we have to file these um, uh, records um, and keep them for up to three years. So, so basically, um, it's not just a case of measuring a spec and just ticking some measurements saying, yeah, we checked that, the measurements seem okay, let's go ahead with it. It's about um, you know, keeping test reports, inspections, the people actually uh, working on their products, uh, what kind of level of training they've had. Um, um, for example, um, it could be uh, a, a person attaching a button. So even though we've probably trained that person uh, to attach a button, um, the training has to be um, done every four weeks. So basically, pull test, they know how to do a pull test um, because, you know, buttons can come out. And um, and if you're producing a product for children, of course, you know, yeah. quite, quite a dangerous thing. So, so there's a lot of inspections, there's a lot of tests, and, um, and you've got to keep records of all these tests and checks, online inspections, which machine number made what, um, which operator made what, and, um, and, and the whole thing. You have to keep everything. So we, we call it a style file. So basically from the start to the finish, you've got you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, uh, records of exactly what actually happened on that uh, uh, line on that particular order, you know, how many hours it took to make, uh, who made it, um, when did we start pressing it, you know, how long did it take to press, who pressed it, what issues did we have in pressing or whatever. We have to record everything. I don't think some people realise quite how much goes into um you know, all that record keeping that you're talking about, that all this extra behind the scenes stuff that a manufacturer has to do, um, as well as the, the day-to-day. Yeah. It's we, we quite incredible to, when you list it all out like that. Yeah, it, because um, it's not just a case of, I, I think I remember um, a long time ago when my father used to have a business, uh, a factory, and I, I, you know, I used to pop in after school. And it's a case of just, um, get, they used to get some fabric and they used to lay it up and, um and cut it out and then just stitch it together and, and sell it on the market. Yeah. <laughs> but, but now it's a case where, um, you know, each customer has a workbook. And um, so that workbook has a set of rules. Um, for, for example, a tech pack. So basically, if you're grading, um, um, a, a, for example, Tesco's, you have to go to the grade rules that Tesco's have set in their workbook. And each workbook varies for each customer. So that a size medium for Tesco's doesn't necessarily mean it's a size medium for Matterland, you know. There's, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's all different. So, so, so when, when you're actually uh, developing your garments, you have to fit it to the, 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 the particular customer you actually are supplying. So, you know, you have to make sure that it all fits to their requirements, to their workbooks, and um, you've done all the testing that they require. Uh, it, could, it could be fabric testing, it could be trim testing you know, um, to, uh, to make sure that, you know, everything is as what it's supposed to be. So there's a lot of records and a lot of tests got to be done before we even start stitching or going ahead with the order. Yeah. And, and so, what, yeah. So I've, I've heard you your um, factory described as, some people say it's the most ethical factory in Leicester. And you can hear by, by everything you're saying, you know, you're doing so much um, above and beyond what you need to do. Why... 
Leicester obviously has had a bit of a bad rap of late. I mean, even recently in the environmental um, audit, com- the environmental committee, the sustainability report that they did into the fashion industry. And one of the things that was picked up on was um, bad practice in Leicester, which unfortunately gives people like you um, a bad name, which is part of the reason I wanted to get you on the podcast to just point out to people, you know, there's some fantastic things being done in Leicester. Um what would you say are the, are the biggest challenges as a manufacturer based based in the UK? Yeah, I, I think um, the biggest challenge, I think, is to actually, um, as a manufacturer, to actually build a trust with a, with a retailer um, to engage uh, with a UK manufacturer because um, the bad publicity that's created by these other operators does um, put off um, retailers from actually sourcing product from uh, the UK. Really? So you think a, a kind of a, a blanket um, approach of, right, we just won't touch anyone um, in Leicester or even anyone in the UK because of just a few people that are, that the press are picking out? Yeah. And, and, and it has a, uh, and we, we get caught up in that. So yeah. that's um, because they're only buying like 0.1% of their total kind of um, clothing products or 2%. So very minimal amount they buy from the UK. So Whereas the media attention they get, if something is actually um, you know highlighted and it's unethical, and um, and and the brand's been uh, um, brought into kind of disrepute, you know, um, for the sake of like one or two percent of their production, they'd rather move it overseas um, and and away from uh, that attention, and so, uh, so they're not exposed to that kind of um, you know um, risk. So, how do you think we can solve this problem? I, th- I think um, the way forward is um, for we've, we've, we've got laws in this country. We have rules and we have laws, laws as well. And, and if a law is being broken, the authority should stamp uh, down and, um, you know, basically uh, take to um, court the, the, the actual law breakers. Right? And, 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 and what it is, what's actually happening is that... Um, the issue is we've had various um, um, media coverage of the issues that are actually happening in Leicester. And on each occasion, they're, they're, they're more focused towards the actual retailer and the brand. And, right. um, hmm. But it, the, the crime's actually been com- committed by the actual manufacturer or um, the worker that's actually working for less money because they could be claiming benefits and and they don't want to, you know, sh- there's, a, there's a lot that goes into it. But what I'm trying to say is that the media attention actually has focused um, everybody's attention towards the stores and the retailers when it shouldn't be. That's yeah, what- that's so true. You know, yeah, because, the, you know, I think why they do that partly is because if they're going to do a TV programme, it's it's all very well to say, you know, Edinburgh Woolen Mill is making knitwear in this factory and it's terrible, aren't they awful? Um but because the people watching the programme have heard of Edinburgh Woolen Mill or whichever. I mean, I'm saying that as an example because I remember the dispatches that was on a few years ago. Um, but they don't, the manufacturers themselves, they they don't make such good TV because the people watching have not necessarily heard of them, have they? So, Yeah, I, I, I think this, is, um, this ethical issue is, is, is a pretty serious issue. And, um, and, and I think... Um, it shouldn't be the case where um, we've put it to the public and the public are more interested in 
um, i.e. Edinburgh Woolen Mills being pulled, you know, having their products be made in a, a factory that's broken the law, right? You know, it should be a case of that. It should be just a case of um, you have law enforcement and the actual lawbreakers, and that's the issue between them two, and it should be dealt with straight away. So but- you're saying it's not necessarily dealt with. I mean, that's certainly something that came up wasn't it, in the, um, the report government from a few weeks ago, was that HMRC weren't enforcing it um, as much as they should be. They were almost turning a blind eye to the textile industry because it was kind of too small because a lot of the manufacturers, unlike yourself, I mean, how many people do you employ at um, your place? Well, right. Um, we actually, this time last year, we actually employed over 100 people. But um, due, due to the actual, um, the change in marketplace, i.e., um, the, the bigger retailers have kind of like pulled out of UK um, sourcing. They're actually um, sourcing more from overseas now. Due to do you do you think so? And do you think yeah. that, or do you think it's just generally they are having a bad time of it and orders are down uh, across the board? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that, that's that's a part of it as well. I think you know that, that's 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 a major part of it as well. So so what it is, um, we're we're having to uh, manufacture smaller runs now. Uh, and it's more geared up towards online retailers where the runs are not like 20,000 pieces of one style, one color. It's like um, 300, 400 units of one dress. And, um, and, 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 and basically, to keep your production running, you have to do so many of these smaller runs every day. So whereas before, um, we used to just concentrate on like making patterns and fitting just one particular style, which will keep us going for like two or three days. But now it's a case where uh, you know, we're having to do all that work, so much more work, just to keep um, the lines going because, you know, the, the order sizes are smaller, 300 pieces. So we still got to do all the back work on those 300 pieces. We've still got to do the testing. We've still got to do the fits. We've still got to do um, the patterns, et cetera, et cetera, you know, um, match the threads, set the machines on that particular fabric. And um, so there's much more intense intensity. And, and, do you not... Do you not think that is a result of fashion and the way it's going anyway? Because a lot of the product you're manufacturing is quite high fashion, isn't it? It's jersey garments, you know. Do you think that people, stores want to buy less of each item because it's less risk for them? And also the customer is asking for new fashion every week or every day even. Yeah, I I think it's just evolution. I mean, I I remember a time when um, the bigger manufacturers in the UK offshored in the in in the 80s and um and and i I remember a time that um at that time um the uk high street was filled had quite a few prominent um department stores um fenix littlewoods uh, yeah burton's burton uh, group yeah and 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 what it was um when when the manufacturers offshored um what was left behind was like a small cottage industry it's just like a shadow of what was there before there were like smaller manufacturers and, and these manufacturers were catering towards, uh, you mentioned my dad, towards market traders, stroke, cash and carry type wholesale business. However, the internet, the evolution, you know, the, the revolution of the internet has actually um, uh, gone further. And, and what it is, it's allowed people to personally express themselves and what they want. And, and, you, and where there's a desire, there's also, also a, a, a supplier that will turn up and say, right, okay, yeah, I can satisfy that. So you, you've got like online retailers now and so many online retailers. And, and, and what it is, these online retailers haven't got like hundreds of shops. It's just their little warehouse. And so their orders 
can be smaller. They don't have to fill yeah. up that many shops and their overheads are not like in bricks and mortar on rent or anything like that or huge staffing bills. So they can be more price um, um, uh, conscious about the, the market they're dealing with. They can actually supply at a lower price. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned yeah. these online retailers because um, I heard recently that Boohoo, for instance, have got several hundred, I think it is, um, of manufacturers just in Leicester alone. Do you think, you know, is that is that true? And are there lots of these places, because I certainly have not visited 300 manufacturers in Leicester, yeah. are they all kind of tiny little um, so, yeah. places that they're using? Yeah, because... Because what it is, there's a specific model that has to um, work for certain online uh, retailers. So, so, so basically, when you when you're producing um, 300 units, you've basically got to make sure that the overhead incurred in producing those 300 units and the standard minute value, i.e., the time it takes to actually um, yeah. production uh, that particular unit through your uh, production line and um, to finishing and pressing and packing, has got to be minimal. So that the smaller the work area. The smaller the number of uh, the production line, i.e. the production line like in our factory uh, was like just straight lines of overlock machines, overlock machines, then further down you had loads of hemming, twin needle, lock stitch machines. And so when we were like, trying to produce 300 units, we're like passing it around from one end of the factory to the other That's end. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. So you're actually saying smaller yeah. quantities, it's much easier to make in much smaller units. Precisely. And that's Interesting. why, you know, that, that kind of um, uh, model of smaller factories is actually uh, uh, working with uh, various online retailers. And, 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 and also, the, 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 you're not, for example, um, having to keep in mind that I've got, uh, you know, something like 50, 60, 100 workers and, and I've got to put on the line about a dozen styles at any one time and, and, and you're open to, like, confusion, risk of um, making mistakes, etc. The smaller you are, you're making one style, you make that style within your little production area, and then you move to the, the next um, um, order once that's complete, and there's less risk of actually making mistakes. Yeah, I can completely see where you're coming from there. So you're saying it's much more difficult to manage a large factory than a very small, which, I can, which, which makes complete sense. But back to Boohoo again. They said recently that the dress that they sell for £5 can be made in eight minutes. Do you think that's true? Do you think you can make a, a very simple jersey dress in eight minutes? Um, from start to finish, like the full CMT, from cutting it, pressing it, the lot? It, it depends on, on the particular... Um, efficiencies in that particular um, factory where they're, they're, they're getting this made. So so if it's a case where it could be like, I don't know, 100 units and, um, and, and literally from starting cutting just 100 units to actually um, making them, and it depends on the number of hands that are actually um, going to be hungry for the work coming through the line. So 100 units will actually in a production line moves quicker because um, people are eager to um, get on with you got more staffing on that small line to actually get it out quicker right uh, okay but, but I, I don't know it's a, it's a hard one you, you, you've got to actually physically um, time it yourself you know you're literally sitting on a machine and you actually blindly kind of um, as if you're uh, overlocking the shoulders and the neck and the side scenes and you can time yourself and um and, and, and I think if, if, if they've got a good team, a very efficient team of workers, and um, it could be possible, yeah. Right, interesting. It could be possible. 
One thing that I mean occurs to me in all of this, when you talk about the online retailers and, and how many different factories they're working with, as someone who's come from a buying background, that would be my worst nightmare, having, you know, several hundred factories to deal with. Surely it makes much more sense, like someone like ASOS, for instance, who have maybe just, you know, 10 or 20 factories in the UK that they work with. So it's much easier to manage than how can you keep your eye on 300 factories? It's difficult. I can imagine it. It's, it's, it's a minefield. Um, yeah. You know, so you have to literally take, um, I mean, if you talk about ethics, you have to take um, uh, the word of the factory owners um, as gospel because, um, you know, you're, you're dealing with so many factories and uh, and, and, and when um, the retailers will send out their ethical um, guys to check the factory, you know, on that particular day, it's, it's what they actually see on that particular day. And so they've got to be taken as gospel. Again, you know, this is what, how the factory operates. And um, and so, yeah, it's only so much a retailer can do because the retailer's job is to run his business efficiently and he relies on the laws in that country to be implemented by the authorities of that country. So that basically, there's that, yeah, there is a due diligence that each retailer has to make sure that, you know, they have gone up and uh, over and beyond what, you know, they, they can do, you know, i.e. when they're inspecting a, a factory. And, and I think people, you know, retailers do that. I think that they actually do that. But the issue is um, if, if, if a supplier or a manufacturer is so hell-bent on breaking the, the, the law and the rules and, and he can, you know, pull the, the wool over the eyes of that auditor and um, and, and he, he will get away with it. And yeah. unfortunately, uh, you know, we've got, laws in this country we have rules i keep mentioning that and because because i love rules too mick so i'm with you on that one <laughs> and, and, and what it is right when a crime's been committed you know they've got to be held responsible for it whoever's committed that crime and unfortunately the focus is so much on the retailers and it makes me so angry because at the end of the day right it's nothing to do with I, yeah it is something to do with the retailer but not to the level that is actually all about the retailer what about mm. the worker that's been exploited if they have been exploited, what about the factory owner that's actually broken the law, you know, and yeah. what about them? You know, what, you, you said to me on a previous conversation, though, it's not just the manufacturer. It's about the worker as well. So yeah, yeah. Uh, tell uh, me more about that. Yeah, because because in my experience, um, you know, we're located in what I would class as the square mile in Leicester, where basically there's a lot of retailers, manufacturers located in this uh, area. And, 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 and so what happens is that we get a lot of people knocking on the door for uh, jobs when we have a, a vacancy board outside. And, uh, and, and when we take them in for interviews, um, you'd expect um, when you come for a job interview that um, you'll be at your best. Um, you know, you'd, you'd bring all your um, um, CV with you, your, your uh, papers to work, your workers' rights papers with you. And, um, and, 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 and also you'll be more interested in showing your skills to the um, um, uh, employer, how, how good you are. But the conversations always kind of, um, I'd say 90% of the conversations always go towards, right, okay, um, we'll work for you, but we only want to show X amount of hours on our payslip and we want X amount of cash. And uh, we, we, you know, we want, um, we'll, we'll work for four pound, five pound an hour, providing you can give us this service. And uh, we want to, even though we only want to show 20 hours on the pay slip, but we want to do the 60, 70, 80 hours or whatever, you know, hours they are. 
and 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 and, and when I when you know it's so frustrating because initially when we first set this factory up, we were so excited we get you know people come to try for work and we're so hungry to recruit uh, workers at that time, and and and, and literally we we're so disheartened because you know through enthusiasm we'll bring them into the factory we'll ask for their workers papers their rights to work etc they'll say oh we'll bring them back again you know and i said okay so when uh, we'll give them like a, a initial kind of um, a letter saying like come back on this day and bring bring these items with you and you know 50 percent of the people won't even come back again and uh, really and, yeah, gosh and, and also the 50 percent that do come come you know uh, with their work papers you know you'd, you'd find people with you know, passports that you know are not quite right. You you, you know that that um, uh, work document's not quite right, and um, uh, and you know, and, and it's so uh, shocking that stuff is not being done here, isn't it? I mean, I do hope now that some action will be uh, taken so that good people like you yeah. can rise above all this. It's, it's what it is. It's the it's the the welfare system has been abused, right? And um, what, the welfare system is there for. Um, the vulnerable in our society it's therefore um short you know people um like at school age or youngsters it's there for the elderly it's there for people that come across hard times i.e when they lose a job or you know they're incapacitated in some way or the other it's not there to be abused by people who, who have got you know total function of their legs arms and hands and everything <laughs> and they're literally yeah. saying that oh um i can get much more money because i asked the question so many times i have in the past you know surely if you're working for the correct wages you know, and you you get you walk away with more than asking for four, four pound an hour or five pound an hour or whatever you're asking for, right? And they say, No, we we get so many benefits, and in their sums or whatever benefits they get, they seem to think that they're, they're getting much more money by doing what they're, they're doing. But what they don't get is a pension, maternity pay, because obviously no. a lot of workers, I'd imagine, are women. Yeah. Um, so it's a but, but it, what, there's a whole education piece that needs to be done here, isn't it, there? It is, and, and, and what it is. It's a case where the welfare system is actually um, subsidising product of clothing that's been made available to the public. And I, and I think that's shocking because that money should have gone to hospitals. It should have gone to uh, the unemployed. It should have gone to, um, you know, single parents, you know, wherever. Right. Not not to be abused in this way. And that and, and, and that's shocking because that's what's actually going on. And, 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 and I think it's about four years ago when um, the ETI had um, done a project with the Leicester University. Um, and uh, Nicholas Hammer, uh, Professor Nicholas Hammer, actually um, collected a lot of data on Leicester, and um, he presented his findings um, to an audience of uh, brands, retailers, um, um, you know, people that are from government, etc. And um, uh, you know, I was there as well, so it was uh, lot, many other manufacturers invited, but not many turned up. But um, you know, the headline news was the average wages being paid in Leicester was three pound an hour. And it's on the front page of our Leicester Mercury, our local paper. Yeah, I remember that. And, yeah. and, and, and that is shocking. And you expect so much to be done at that time. But since then, I haven't seen any kind of real action, you know, apart from the stores, the independent stores trying to do what they can, like uh, ASOS, you know, really, really giving it it's their best, you know, trying to, you know, be a, uh, that we've got a fast forward audit process in place. Yeah. Um, you know, but... You know, hand, you know, I take my hat off to these retailers, right, for doing what they're trying to do. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, I think what, what the challenge is beyond their kind of uh, remit is beyond uh, their, 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 their kind of capability of actually trying to get, get to the bottom of it. Because this is about, 
you know, um, the police needs to do this. Yeah, it is. It's a government, police, yeah. HMRC. Yeah, completely, yeah. yeah, completely agree. I'm a great you know, health and safety executive. It's about all that. And, um, and, and I think because, you know, that, is, that side of it is so weak and, and because after four years, nothing's really been actioned by those authorities, um, people have kind of got above uh, and beyond the fact that they can get away with it now. Right. And, and, and that's the issue. And, 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 and even some manufacturers actually, you know, they, they want to employ right people. They, they, you know, they want right people to come through their doors so they can pay them the correct wages. And, and literally every other worker that's coming through the doors, from what, you know, I've been told is like, oh, we want it this way. We want it that way. And, and these guys have got to take orders out and they're under pressure and they actually employ these people. And, you know, I tell them not to employ them, but, you know, some say, look, what else can we do? You know, what do we do? Because, the Leicester is like a country, the, the square mile is like a country within a country. UK law doesn't, uh, for, for my opinion, UK law isn't applied uh, within the square mile, right? It doesn't apply here, right? It applies, say, on the, in the suburbs of Leicester, but not in this square mile. You know, there's a different set of rules and regulations that, you know, people follow in this area. So, you know... That's and, just uh, crazy, isn't it? It's and, just and crazy. Leicester's got a large, like, um, ethnic minority, right? And, and, and what it is, right, my parents uh, were from, initially from um, uh, Punjab in uh, North India, but I, I was actually born and bred in the country, and, and, and I understand ethics, and I understand um, about the welfare system, and I, it's, it's something to be proud of. My dad was so proud of coming to England, and so proud of the welfare system, so proud of all the institutions that Britain represented, Right. But now now what it is, I feel that, you know, these institutions, have, you know, the great institutions like the NHS, the welfare system, they're being abused. Right. And, 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 and people are actually, you know, um, have got lack of education. Right. They have lack of education uh, about exactly what their actions are actually um, um, the consequences of their actions. They, 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 ju they just don't understand. You know, I. I you know, it's, it's, it's beyond even as a manufacturer, as myself, when, when I'm trying to, you know, um, educate, you know, these kind of people that come to my, you know, to my front door. And, um, and it goes beyond that as well, because they, they look at you sideways and think, what are you on about? You know, what's it to do with you? You know. I think it's great that you speak out, Mick, which is partly obviously why I'm, I invited you on the podcast, because we need more manufacturers like you to be able to speak out um, and say this thing. You know, the, the committee, the government committee that happened a few weeks ago, yeah. the um, no manufacturer was actually interviewed. They interviewed the retailers. They didn't interview any manufacturers themselves. So it was just such a shame. I think it's sort of just because of the sort of industry that manufacturing is, it's not necessarily a very public facing yeah. um, industry. Right. And therefore manufacturers just by their very nature are generally sort of quieter and just get on with their own thing. And I, yeah. it's just such a shame. And that's why I try and give give a voice to manufacturers. And it's great to hear you speaking out as well. Yeah. So you've been running Basic Premier since 2012. So seven years now. Yeah. Where do you think you'll be? Where do you think, Leicester manufacturing will be in another seven years' time. Where would you like it to be? I mean, where where I would like it to be is where um, uh, manufacturers have part partnered up with um, educational providers, and we have like um, colleges where, which are put, putting out um, uh, training facilities uh, to um, you know provide training and skill sets to um, future the future generation. I. There's always a, de a demand for fabric techs, um, 
designers, sealer graders, machinists as well. The most important thing are machinists as well. But unfortunately, there's nothing here. There's no uh, training academy of such um, available in Leicester. So, so I'd love it if, 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 if the local authorities and um, the manufacturers can, and, and the educational providers can all get together and, and, and kind of set up some kind of a, um, a learning college for skills that are required uh, for textile manufacturers. And I think that's really important. And that would be really good as well, because that would solve the problem. Because at the moment, the workers that you're talking about that are demanding um, pay that's not right, they've almost got the upper hand because they know that there's so few of them around. Whereas if we can train up young people to work in manufacturing properly, um, then... You haven't got an issue because the issues we should be having is uh, efficiencies, how to improve efficiencies, um, sourcing new products, uh, looking at um, sustainability about the environment, um, you know, um, focusing more on um, inventing uh, uh, products that uh, are actually um, friendly towards the environment. You know, that's a a big thing because, you know, the environment is such a huge thing and textiles play such a huge part. Yeah, it does. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all these volumes of... Clothing that everyone's buying. Yeah, and, and these are the challenges we should be actually facing today. But in the future, I'd love us to be really, um, you know, hands-on facing, you know, <laughs> challenges of such. But um, unfortunately, um, we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, workers getting paid £3, £4 an hour about unethical practices in factories. And, and, and uh, we've got such a great opportunity, a great industry in Leicester, right? We've got such a, a, a you know, a vast... Uh, 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 um, um, opportunity but you know we're, we're kind of the manufacturers the, the workers in Leicester are kind of scaring the, the the retailers away and we're not engaging and we're not building a base on which we can actually build a great industry we're not doing none of that we're just we, we are we are basically I think I think we're just shooting ourselves in, in, in the foot and we're not progressing the way we should progress and I love it in the future if we can build that base and um, and then we can start concentrating on um skills we can start concentrating on making product that's friendly to the environment you know and and also opening up to um uh, the uk and showing them how great we are you know good at what we're doing because clothing is very personal you know it's very personal and and i think you know if in in the future you know we can actually use in technology you know take it to a level where you know people can you know dial up a factory and say look i'm looking for this particular kind of clothing item can you make it you know, I'd love it if, you know, we can engage to that level. You know, so you, yeah. That's interesting. You talked about um, sort of automation there. Do you think that is something potentially that could help solve some of the problems in Leicester if more um, automation and machinery was involved that speeded up the process rather than requiring endless rows of machinists? I, I think I think that could, could help. But I think looking at the operations of actually stitching a garment, I think that will always be... Um, a labour-intense uh, operation on on the actual factory floor, the sewing of the garments, because the fabrics, the handling of the fabrics, the text. I think the technology that is available at the moment, or in the next um, five or ten years, isn't going to be adequate enough to actually get a robot to actually sit on a machine and actually handle the fabrics and actually uh, put panels together. Uh, maybe in the far future, that that might be the case, but. I mean, there is machinery that does exist that, that, that can make T-shirts. I think it's called Sobot, and it was in, um, invented 
I think in the in the states. Um, I don't know what the quality of these t-shirts yeah. is like because, like you say, fabric is a very um, flexible piece of material, isn't it? And it's not like putting car parts together. It's it requires skill, which is why machinists are so skilled and so undervalued. That people don't realise the skill that's involved. I, I, I think technology will play a good part in. Um, when it comes to the initial um, development of a, a particular product using um, 3D image, uh, imagery, um, virtual um, like um, uh, Photoshop, taking photos of like prints and fabrics and put, generating a kind of a three-dimensional uh, garment and uh, putting it onto the, a mannequin and, you know, so you don't have to waste time developing uh, samples. Right, speeding up the the initial fit and sampling process yeah. rather than the production. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. And, and yeah. I think, and I do, I'm such a strong believer, I think that the story of individual people sewing, uh, going, putting panels together, I think that's a part of the clothing product. I'd, I'd love it for that to continue. I think, you know, that's so personal, you know, and, 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 and the lives of real people actually you know, working on those machines uh, and, and, and that story needs to be told in the actual garments. And, and, and David Nepio actually takes that actually quite, um, that, that kind of asset because when you buy a product from David Nepio, right, um, literally um, the, the names of the, the, the people that actually put that garment together, they actually sign um, a They do, don't they? Yeah, that's a great factory. If you've been to uh, the David Nepio factory. Yeah, I've been to that. Yeah. And we've actually, um, we work with them to produce the yeah. products as well. And, um, and it's, it's, it's a great institution. And, 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 I, and I think that, that kind of um, making, making garments is a very personal thing. And, and, and I think it's like when you, when you go to your hairdresser, you go to your, um, your hairdresser and you want it in such a particular style and, and, and you rely on that um, guy who's got that, you've got the personal relationship with to actually do your hair, right? And you feel relaxed. But when you get a stranger to do it, you just don't feel quite relaxed. And I think, making clothes, even though we've got to get it to a point, right, where it's so personal, you know, this is your tailor and um, your tailor kind of measures you up kind of thing and um, makes your clothes for you. I think that is the way it's going. You've hit the nail on the head there, much more bespoke rather than sort of volume. Have you ever thought about doing that? I mean, has, you, you obviously set up the factory originally to do volume business and hundreds and thousands of, of orders, but have you ever thought about going the other way and we making actually, your... What's yeah. actually happened, market, the market conditions have actually kind of pushed us towards that because <laughs> um, the volume orders weren't available anymore. So we've actually downsized our business area now to half of what we were before and um, to basically cater for the smaller runs because we do our standard minute values. And I realised that, as I mentioned previously, that passing garments over a shorter distance and working in little pods, it actually is uh, more productive and more efficient to actually... Um, meet the challenge of the new um, um, climate on the, on, you know, on online retailers and the independent brands because the orders are so small in quantity. So we are actually changing what we're doing. Um, you know, it is a struggle. It is a struggle. I, you know, I, I wouldn't deny it. it is a struggle. And I think this is like, um, I'd say it's virgin territory for um, retailers and manufacturers because retailers do want to engage uh, with uh, manufacturers like us. Right. But some retailers have like such a hundreds of shops. And how do they actually make it work? And, 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 and online retailing is quite to some of these retailers. It's, it's a challenge as well. Do they actually yeah. reduce their um, physical presence on the high street and just to a, few, a couple of shops? 
which is what many of them are doing, aren't they? They're closing stores left, right and centre. And, and, yeah. and, and the challenge is actually trying to source two or 300 units from overseas. I don't think it happens. I don't <laughs> think it will work because, you know, to actually engage with an overseas retailer and, and to actually place an order for 300, uh, sorry, a, a manufacturer and actually place an order for 300 units and to actually ship it all the way across the world. It's just not sustainable, is it's it? Not, not at all. Just, no. The cost is just um, going to be too much and also um the logistics of actually keeping a manufacturer overseas busy with 300 300 300 units it might be difficult it'll be much more difficult so i think the future is um production will be more closer to the marketplace and so so i think that um, we'll be looking more at um um engagement from retailers with manufacturers but that timeline is, for, for me it's got to be now it's got to happen now for, for us brilliant but it's got to happen now because we need to um, keep our factory going we need engagement from retailers now for this to happen uh, yeah and and, and I, I, I you know i know commitment from a retailer is difficult because you know but i believe in a partnership you know a partnership working together hand in hand to you know make these kind of um to meet these changes these challenges so yeah yeah Mick, you've been absolutely brilliant. So basically how you ended that, you said the future is UK manufacturing, isn't it? You very much believe that as I do. It is. It is. That's where it, that's, whichever way you look at it, that's where it's going to go. Brilliant. Mick, you have been an absolute star. I won't keep you any longer because I know you've got a very busy factory to run. I can Every so often in the background, I can hear the kind of buzzing of yeah, machines. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for talking to me today. You've been brilliant. You've, it's really great to hear what you have to say about manufacturing in the UK and in Leicester. Um, have a great day. Thank you very much. Likewise. Thank you very much. If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers from the fashion, textiles and homeware sectors, you should definitely come to our trade show, Make It British Live. The next event is taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London. With over 200 exhibitors, inspiring talks just like the ones you've been listening to on this podcast and interactive workshops, it's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive again. Registration is now open. Just go to makeitbritishlive.com forward slash register to register for a free ticket. If you're a British-made manufacturer or brand and want to find out how your business can benefit from being involved in the show, just visit makeitbritishlive.com forward slash exhibit, fill out a short questionnaire and one of my team will get straight back to you. To reach out to me personally, the best place to do this is via LinkedIn. Just look up Kate Hills and you'll find me. You'll also find me on Twitter at Make It British and Instagram at Make It British too. For all show notes for these podcasts, just go to makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash podcast and you'll find all the details. And make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing in iTunes, Stitcher or whichever is your preferred podcast app. And I really would love it if you left me a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye.